everyone, we continue our read-through of the New Testament. Today we are in Revelation 16, which gives to us the seven bowls of God's wrath. This brings to a close the fourth cycle of visions given in Revelation leading up to the second coming of Christ. Now, the bowl judgments appropriate Exodus language and its plagues, and they clearly parallel and amplify the same descriptions that we saw back detailed in the trumpet judgments, which was the second cycle of visions. The first five bowls will mark temporal and repeating judgments on the wicked during the era of proclamation, bringing us up to the closing of the age. The sixth bowl will mark the very last of the days of human history, and the seventh will mark the final judgment. And so this little bit of uh, background, let's read now the seven bowls of God's wrath in chapter 16. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple calling the seven angels, Go and pour out on earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowls on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them the blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God the Almighty, trust, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are demonic spirits, performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl in the air, and the loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there never had been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of wine of the fury of his wrath, and every island fled away, and no mountains were be found, and great hailstones, about one hundred pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague of the hell, because the plague was so severe. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here we have it, right? We have the bold judgments being poured out. This culminating picture of God's judgment on wickedness of this age. The first five culminating these capitulating, recapitulating judgments on mankind for its wickedness. The sixth bringing us to the culminating picture at the end of the age. And the seventh bring, being the final judgment itself. So look at these first bowl. The first bowl in verses 1 through 2 mimics the sixth plague 
in Exodus 9 and 8 as we see this picture of painful and harmful sores coming upon those who worship the mark of the beast and its image, right? What I believe that the first bowl portrays is the gangrenous effects of sin that brings great harm and pain, both spiritually and physically, for those who worship the beast. They worship the mark of the beast, and so the Lord ensures that their life is marked by the nature of their worship. You want to worship the mark of the wicked one? then you will have wicked marks upon you. And I don't think that this is meant to be just physical sores. I think this is a a picture of deeper spiritual truths of the deep and painful harm that comes from a life given over to beast worship, to sinful worship. That it is that 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 spiritual corruption leads to physical Corruption, And anyone who's ever seen um, someone whose life's been given to addiction or harmful life, like you, you can see literally the physical changes that comes from spiritual wickedness. And, and this is actually seen throughout Scripture, like Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will weep from the Spirit eternal life. Psalm 38.3 says that there is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. Philippians 3.18 and 19, Paul writes, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. When you, when you worship the beast and, and you go after the mark of worldliness, don't be shocked when you are marked out yourself by the wickedness that you desire. This is what I believe the first bold judgment is all about. The gangrenous effects of sin corrupting both spiritually and physically those who go after the beast. The second bowl... Uh, mimics the first plague, right? Where we see the sea becoming like blood. I believe that this portrays the bloodshed of the nations that comes from war, genocide, and especially the persecution of the saints. Famine, pestilence, economic collapse, social unrest, revolution, all of this leads to other people acting wickedly for survival. Bloodshed produces bloodshed. And this is what happened. This is another one of those recapitulating things that happens during the inner bad mental age. Isaiah 17, 12, The thunder of many peoples, they thunder like the thundering of the sea. The roar of the nations, they roar like the roar of mighty water. So the sea is a picture of the nations. And here we see the nations being turned to blood. And that's what happens in the inner Adventile age. Because of their following of the beastly system, they are given over to wickedness, to bloodshed. And that bloodshed produces bloodshed. In Genesis 9, 5, and 6, For your lifeblood I will require a reckoning from every beast. I will require it from, and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. And so this is why God will bring this just judgment on the 
the nations because they themselves have brought about the lifeblood. They have poured out the lifeblood of their fellow image bearers. This bloodshed has promoted more bloodshed. And the third bowl, in many ways, is a continuation of this. Uh, we, it sees here the way in which the devastating effects of those wars of the nations and the famines, it trickles out into every part of society, right? When there is war and persecution and devastation poured out by tyrant leaders, it infiltrates every part of society. And that's why we see here now the rivers and springs of water are becoming blood, right? So when you go and persecute the holy ones of God, when you when you go after the Lord, when you kill his people, when you try to kill his truth, when you worship this beastly system, it will lead to infection going out into every part that feeds society. And that's what these rivers and streams do. It's where people would find their local water source. It's what they drink from. It's their well. And here, this is precisely what has happened. The corruption of the nations has produced and flood and flowed into corruption into every part of society. Have we not so desperately seen that here in the West. In the fourth bowl, which mimics the seventh plague of Exodus, right? We see this fascinating picture of how the sun is allowed to scorch people with fire. Literally, fierce heat uh, is coming upon them as they are cursing the name of God who has the power over the plagues. And this is the first time we see something fascinating. They won't repent. In spite of all of these judgments, they still won't repent and give God the glory. Now, this scorching of the sun is not a picture of global warming. It's not a picture of radical climate change. This portrays the gradual and universal withdrawing of God's common grace, which serves to restrain the effects of wickedness. As God withdraws His common grace, the effects of the curse fatally intensify in such a way that its terrors will be like trying to survive in the blazing sun of a desert with no shade or life-giving water to escape it. And rather than turning to God, who alone can give them reprieve, who alone can give them safety, who alone can give them salvation, because of the folly and hardness of their sin, the wicked merely continue to run further away from God. And this is such a picture of the depravity seen in Romans 1. Man was made to know and be in relationship with God. That is what separated him from, from the beast of the earth. And when he abandons his creational purpose, man just becomes another beast. You do understand that, right? When man turns from God, he rejects the very thing that separates him from the beast of the earth. And therefore, he himself becomes beastly. That's what Nebuchadnezzar and that story is all about. When you reject the one true God, you reject what what separates you as an image bearer of him. And thus, you are left to be a beast and nothing more. Then we see the fifth bowl, which, which mimics the ninth plague of Egypt, where we see the kingdom being plunged into darkness, people gnawing their tongues in anguish because of those pain and sores that we saw back in the first bowl. And once again, they would not repent. Another result of God withdrawing His common grace is that God removes the ability for unbelieving rulers to govern effectively over the realm of humanity. This inevitably leads to the collapse of society, and with that comes darkness and terror. It was John Calvin who wrote, quote, When God wants to judge a nation, 
He gives them wicked rulers. End quote. This is what it's all about. This is a picture of what happens as kingdoms are plunged into darkness because wickedness rules over them. And that leads to further pain, further suffering. Proverbs 29.2 says, When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, people groan. Ezekiel 22.27, Her princes within her are like wolves tearing the prey by shedding blood and destroying lives in order to get dishonest gain. All of these judgments right, that we see here in the first five bold judgments are a reflection of the curses that God swore to Israel for disobedience and lawlessness. You can go see all of that in Deuteronomy 28, 15-29. Everything here is a picture of covenantal curses brought upon the world for their rejection of their Creator. All of this is seen and marked throughout this interadvental period. This is not something that's just waiting to happen. We see all of those things happening right now. But what is still future and waiting is what we see in the sixth and seventh bowl. In the sixth bowl, we see something fascinating. Is the bowl is poured out on the great river, the Euphrates. And here, we see this incredible picture of what was seen over and over again throughout Scripture. Now, the Euphrates was the northern, northeastern boundary for both the land of God and for the Roman Empire. And on the other side of that was a picture of their enemies. It was a picture of that which the, the Euphrates served as a natural protection, a border from those enemy forces. Here we are told that God will cause the water there to dry up, just as he was prophesied in in uh, Jeremiah 50 and Isaiah f- uh, 44. All of this right, is a picture that as the, at the fall of the historical Babylon, the drying up of the Euphrates will mark the prelude to the destruction of the wicked and great evil city. And the, we're told that this drying up is to make way for the kings of the east. God had executed judgment against Babylon by doing what? By raising up Cyrus and his princes who were coming from the east, from the rising of the sun, Isaiah 41. So the kings of the east here represent the leaders of Babylon's kingdoms who will have become disenchanted with the worldly system that will be in absolute shambles because of those first five bold judgments. They will seek to start a new, uh, uh, almost a new world order in order to build their ideal of a new earth. And the church, which represents its only resistance, will need to be removed, according to them. They, They have to kill the only thing which stands as a resistance to their effort to create a world after their own image. We'll see this picture in Revelation 17 again, right? The ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. So these leaders, these worldly leaders, are actually killing the wicked system of Babylon. God is using evil to destroy evil the same way he used Cyrus to destroy Babylon. Little do these little leaders know that in their unified effort to destroy, they are actually being drawn together by God in judgment 
in order to be finally destroyed themselves. The drying up of the river is a picture of the preparation for the great deliverance of God's people and the great judgments of the nation. And so then we see, right, this picture of the assembling of the dragon's army. And it's done through these three unclean demonic spirits, right? And I think the reason that the frogs are chosen as pictures of deceptive influence is because they were the one of the two Egyptian plagues that Pharaoh's magicians were able to reproduce themselves through their deceptive arts. Now, see, what we see here is that the, through this demonic influence and deception, this spirit of delusion will come over upon the nations to gather against the people of God. And we see this in Mark 13, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and they all gather together to assemble for battle against the people of God. And this is a picture of what we get in Exodus 38, right, with the, the picture of Gog and Magog, and how both of those are two stories of the same event as God seeks to gather the nations uh, 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 against his righteous and holy people. And we are told, right, this will happen on the great day of the Almighty, that he is coming like a thief, you know, and we see here the place of battle. The place of battle will be Har-Mageddon, literally the Mount of Megiddo. Now, what's important is we know that this can't be taken literally because our Megiddo is not a mount. Megiddo is a plain. It's flat as can be. It's a massive area, a plain area. It's not a mount, right? But Megiddo is where the nations that came against Israel were swept away by God back in Judges chapter 4. We were singing about it in Judges chapter 5 with the song of Deborah, right? Megiddo is also where Elijah killed the false prophets, and Megiddo is where King Josiah would not heed God's word in battle. Megiddo is also where the wicked nations will behold the Lord and his return and mourn over their rejection of him and his judgment of them. So this is not a literal place. This is merely a symbolic reality of the gathering of the kings of the nations who have come against God's people, who have been, who have been lured by false prophets, who refuse to heed God's word, and who ultimately have rejected the Lord, and there will be judged by Him, just as we saw all those other pictures in Scripture. And so the gathering of the armies against God's people is literally the God, is literally God gathering the nations for the purpose of a unified judgment against them, right? And so we know that the victory is sure, and we see that in the seventh bowl, which is a picture of the consummating judgment. Once again, we see this theophanic language. The bowl is poured out into the air. Why? Because that's where the prince of the power of the air belongs. The picture is, is God's final and ultimate judgment on Satan. And with him, all of the forces that he has deceived and sought to lead away. We see this theophanic language of, of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder and a great earthquake. All of this, right, uh, splitting into three parts, right? A picture of the fullness of the Godhead behind this judgment. The power of the Almighty God pouring out his wrath upon Babylon the Great, upon the dragon, upon all the wicked forces. All of the islands and mountains are fled away. Why? Because there's no place to hide in the final judgment. 
great hailstones, about 100 pounds. Once again, another plague-like judgment falling from the head of the people. Why? Because those who sought to follow the dragon will fall in the same judgment he did. And what is the judgment of the dragon? That his head will be crushed by the seed of the woman. His head is crushed by Christ, and so too is everyone who follows the dragon. They too will have their head crushed by the cornerstone, Christ Jesus. So here we see the picture of judgment. Those five bold judgments, pictures of reflections of the God's judgment against wickedness throughout the age. The sixth bold judgment, a picture of the gathering of the nations at the end, led by the beast himself to come against the church to be a means of actually destroying Babylon itself. And how God will, an absolute, utter, complete, and final judgment at the return of Christ, bring utter destruction upon the armies that have stood against Him. He will crush every head that follows after the serpent. But He will stand and hold fast faithfully all those who have made Him their head. For everyone who is under the headship of Christ will be protected in the midst of such disaster. From the end, throughout the interadvental age, all the way until now, the coming again. We see the close of a cycle, which will lead to the beginning of the fifth cycle of the great prostitute and the beast, and their utter destruction being now ta- shown in full detail in chapter 17 through 19. God bless.